VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we take a deep dive into European football after another busy week in the Champions League. Chelsea making light work of AC Milan, Reese James impressed, but so did Trent Alexander-Arnold of Liverpool. We'll talk about their competition for the right-back berth with England. We'll also be discussing whether Darwin Nunez is going to work out as Liverpool striker. We'll discuss whether Spurs have the depth to be more entertaining and whether Celtic have been disappointing in this season's Champions League. We'll also be speaking to Molly Hudson, who has spoken to Lucy Bronze, the England defender, ahead of their games against the United States and the Czech Republic. We'll discuss Napoli, Sevilla and Leicester City as well on a bumper edition of the game podcast. Hello and welcome back to the game podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. Today I'm alongside Ian Hawkey, who joins us from Barcelona, uh, Tom Clark and Jonathan Northcroft. And we begin by talking about a busy week in Europe and at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea making light work of the Italian champions. AC Milan, a 3-0 win in front of a home crowd. And it was the first dominant performance and result of the Graham Potter era at Chelsea. Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. We'll whiz through all the Champions League games, I think, because there's so much to talk about. But how important was it for Graham Potter that Chelsea won and won in style and begin to do so regularly from here on out? Yeah, it's very important for him because, you know, he's, he's, he's said all the right things. He's, he's set the right tone, as he always was going to a man of his kind of personal qualities. But I kind of feel that initial, um, you know, look, we've got this lovely man in charge now sort of thing had fizzled out and, and, and they need to, to start, you know, backing it up with serious results. And I think it's been an encouraging start overall to his reign. You can see progress game to game. And it was a step change, as you suggest, you last night, where they were scintillating at times, properly dominated a decent opposition. And, you know, just little things were working, like Loftus-Cheek in midfield, which could be a, a Graham Potter signature you know, getting some getting something out of, of him and his career. And, um, you know, Reese James was fantastic. Aubameyang scoring, I think it's important because, you know, without that, try to try out that cliched line, Chelsea have lacked a number nine. And, and you know, if, if Aubameyang's going to poach goals like he did, that's going to be really important. So, and he looked really good, didn't he, as well, as they were saying on TV. Nice suit, good beard. So nice night for Graham Potter. I too was pleased with the polo neck uh, and coat combo. I've got to say, you know, I've mentioned the beard previously. I like the way he's eased this in. You know, he tried the shirt a while back and tie and, and he just looked like a geography teacher. So I'm loving the fact that he's gone down the King's Road. He's got himself a stylist. 
you know, he looks superb, you know, feel, look good, feel good. I talk about it a lot, guys, you know, it's working, Tom, <laughs> for Graham Potter. Absolutely. With a with big apologies to all geography teachers who are listening to the game podcast, of course. He looked excellent. Chelsea looked excellent. I think another thing that was quite striking, as much as Johnny's talking about Ruben Loftus-Cheek and new players like Aubameyang looking good, was that Mason Mount, I thought, was excellent. Again, a fairly consistent theme of Chelsea over the last few years is whoever's in charge. He seems to be a fairly important cog in the machine. I mean, for Fana, obviously the injury to him could be a big blow for Potter in terms of dampening the spirits. There's obviously comments from him this morning saying that he's a bit worried about the severity of the, that injury. But I think Johnny's right. Aubameyang, a real bright bright spark. Whether he can continue that or whether in a classic Aubameyang fashion, as some have suggested before, he plays when he joins a club and then plays for contracts when he needs one. Not me, but you know, other people have suggested it before. Uh, so just simply throwing it out there. I, I also think, and I don't know whether Ian would agree with me, I thought Milan were really poor. I expected quite a lot more from them. I thought they were, you know, quite quite lacklustre. Obviously, people of my generation expect a certain level from AC, the great AC Milan, and I know that's been quite changed over the last few years, but I thought they were really poor. Ian, I don't know whether you'd agree with me. Yeah, I was really disappointed in them. I mean, they had some excuses in that they were missing a few important players with injury, but... Um... Yeah, it would. It, I mean, yeah, you know, we do expect historically more from Milan, and we've they've now come to England the past two seasons against Liverpool last season, and now Chelsea, and and looked like the the team who have been on the descent for the last ten years, which they aren't. You know, they are they are Italian champions now, and they've been reasonably good domestically. And interestingly, uh, I don't think any Chelsea fan would have left there with any regret about Olivier Giroud having left, or or even Tomori, who wasn't at his best. Yeah, re- really poor, really limp. I mean, uh, Rafa Liao was quite lively at the start, but uh, but that was really about it, wasn't it? So we give to Graham Potter with one hand and with the other hand, we taketh away. In fact, AC Milan just weren't that good. And that's the reason Chelsea won in style. <laughs> just for balance, just for balance, that seems to be what we've deduced. But I actually want to sort of mix conversation about this Chelsea result with Liverpool's 2-0 win over Rangers, because that was inspired by a Trent Alexander-Arnold free kick. And some called it a response to his many critics in the last week, including Henry Winter in the Times. Um, But there was also a goal and an assist from Rhys James in that Chelsea win. And look, the two have been compared. They've been put up against one another as having this competition in the right-back spot for the next decade or so. And both performances highlighted that competition that England will have uh, in the right-back, the wing-back area as well. And after an injury to Manchester City's Carl Walker... James and Alexander-Arnold could end up paired together in England's World Cup team. Could that work? How good are they? That's my question, really. I thought Rhys James was was absolutely brilliant. I actually think he showed, once again, why he is ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold, because it's just that intensity, it's that aggression, it's that physicality that he seems to bring in that area that Trent is just lacking at the moment. Tom Clark. It's not meant to be another England discussion, but I'll come to you on this. You know, it's a key area for England. They've got lots of quality there. Do you think the combination of, of James and Alexander-Arnold works? Oh, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh. I knew you'd throw to me. So I, I, I've been thinking long and hard about this. I knew you'd give me the tricky question. I mean, you know, never mind a world in which, you know, we've got a coherent government and there's lower mortgage rates. I want to live in a world where it's possible for Trent Alexander-Arnold to be one of the most talented, one of the most beautiful English footballers to watch, and for him not to be right for Gareth Southgate's England. Because those two things can exist. They can, they can happen. 
it's okay for Trent Alexander-Arnold to score a brilliant free kick and for it to mean absolutely nothing to Gareth Southgate in England because that's ultimately that's ultimately true to me, I feel. He's superb. He's a brilliant footballer. Gary Neville did a brilliant deep dive on his stats in terms of creating chances on Monday Night Football. He's amazing. But as you said, the most significant thing that happened in terms of right-sided England defensive players last night was, or this week, sorry, was Kyle Walker being injured. I think that's the most worrying and most important factor for England in the World Cup because I think if he were to be injured, it would lock England into probably playing a defensive-minded back three because I don't think Southgate would play a back four without Walker on the right. To come to your question... About the two of them, I think you're right that Reese James is probably slightly more suited to Southgate just in terms of that intensity that you highlight. But I, I really would like to be able to discuss the brilliance of Trent Alexander-Arnold and also have it not placed in the context of England just because I, I don't know whether I, th- I think John might disagree with me. I know lots of other football correspondents disagree with that view. I think people think someone that talented has to. It's a failing of a manager if you can't get someone that talented to work in your system, I, I just I would love to live in a world where those two things can be true, but I don't think that exists in modern football, does it, Johnny? You're a very um, positive guy, Tom, and I'm glad you're happy living in a world <laughs> where a, a whole range of exciting players aren't right for Gareth Southgate, and that, but that's okay, you know. I mean, I'm sure you enjoyed watching James Madison um, excel for Leicester and happily thought, but that's this fight's good. He's not in the England team, you know. That's that's okay. Yeah, definitely. World's we can come alive. to that later. Yeah. He can stay where he is good. too. Ivan Tony, he can stay on the bench. That's that's that's. No, I quite fine. like him. He can get in. He can get in. He can stay on the bench. <laughs> I would actually say that I take the point about about um, Trent and Reese James in the sense that James has got more or less the creative and attacking profile. Not quite, I'd say, as much as Trent, but you know, he's, he's so good at that that you you can't you'd be nitpicking to say that he's not brilliant in that department and yes he's got the defensive aspects as well so I'm, I'm, I can happily live in a world where he is ahead of Trent Alexander in the England pecking order but watching Reese James um, for Chelsea throws up for me as many questions as watching Trent Alexander-Arnold for Liverpool in terms of England because I don't think we get to see that Reese James in an England shirt because I don't think Gareth Southgate licenses him to play in that way and that is as big an issue. If we're going to have Rhys James, let Rhys James play like Rhys James. He doesn't get in the box for England. He doesn't get to overload down the sides and, and, and get to the byline and, and put balls in like he did for Aubameyang because he doesn't, doesn't get forward in that way. And I think that's a big issue. So fine, pick, pick Rhys James, but have, have the Chelsea Rhys James. Don't have uh, a, a guy who's on the halfway line trying to defend in a, in a five. And I know we don't want to turn this into an England discussion, but watching those games, not surprised Trent Alexander-Arnold curled in a brilliant free kick. He's a fantastic technician. And that didn't make me think, Gareth Southgate's incredible, you know, blah, blah, blah. But watching Rhys James did, and I has done for a few games, seeing him for England, I don't see the same player. So that's a question we should be asking. It's funny, actually, because I had this chat with um, some mates on WhatsApp this morning and I said no one is as good as at their club when they play for England at this point in time. And the response I got from my mates is Sterling is. That's it, one player. I mean, I don't think we see the best of pretty much any player. Maybe Jordan Pickford's as good in an England shirt as he is for Everton, but, you know, the other players kind of... Kane, maybe? Yeah, but even Kane, I mean, goals from open play, link-up play, I mean, 
he's on the periphery a lot for England, even though he sort of comes up with the goals whenever we do score. He has a huge influence over that Tottenham team that he just doesn't seem to have in an England shirt. Again, not meant to be in England chat. Was all meant to be about the right backs. We could go into it again and again, couldn't we? But um, listen, I, I would like to see Rhys James on the right of that back three and Trent Alexander-Arnold as our right wing back. But you just get the feeling that Kieran Trippier would start at right wing back if there was no Carl Walker and Tom Clark shaking his head. Yeah, I mean, you're just, it's just not going to happen. This is the point. It's not You're not going to have Rhys James <laughs> on the right of a back three and Trent in front of him for England for Gareth Southgate. It's not going to happen. Southgate's not going to play that, is he? Southgate's not going to play that. Some Chelsea managers have played Rhys James on the right of a back three it, for tactical reasons when they've been coming up against in, players of incredible pace. Um, I think they've done it against Leicester, worrying about Jamie Vardy in behind before. I think that's happened. And they played Aspilicueta out wide. But there, there you go. That's my point. You then have Aspilicueta a player of perhaps more, you know, experience in the defensive sense outside of him. You'd then put Trent outside him. It would be incredibly exciting. It's not going to happen. They're both they're both wonderful talents. They were both exceptional in the week for the, in the in, in the Champions League. Reece James especially. I agree with Johnny. You were watching that thinking, "Wow, what a performance." What an all-action performance. And I think that will be a feature of Potter's reign as well. I think I'm not the only person in the world who stuck Reese James in his fantasy football team as soon as Graham Potter took over because he thought this guy's going to be absolutely instrumental. It's just not going to happen for England. All right. Okay. All right. We'll come back to it. Um, but you can read Henry Winter's view on Trent Alexander-Arnold in the Times at the moment on the app, of course. There's another Liverpool player I wanted to discuss with you, Ian. That's the striker Darwin Nunez, who is back in the team. He says he's found it difficult adapting to English football. The Uruguayan accepting it's partly self-inflicted, though, uh, after a three-match ban, remember, for that headbutt earlier in the season. And I wanted to ask, having watched his start, Ian, whether you think Darwin Nunez will still be a success because, you know, the social media opinion suggests he could be a flop already. I would back him, and I and you know without uh, without dampening the furor, um, I think it is still a bit early to say he's only twenty-three. Um, he's new to this league. He's new to a, a team that has b- very defined systems and quite a sort of idiosyncratic way of of playing. Um, so, so it will be, you know, it, it will be challenging. Um, he'll be disappointed not to have scored against Rangers because there were opportunities there, but um, he came up against a good goalkeeper. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say um, have faith in him um, and and have faith in, in in a manager who has a good idea of what he can do and where he can develop. I mean, that's the important thing. Only 23 years old. Yes, I, 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 I think I'll be a success. Johnny, from what you saw, are you backing Darwin Nunez? Oh, um, he's got some really great bits to his game, undoubtedly. Um, I think the movement's pretty good. And he, yeah, Alan McGregor was exceptional last night, uh, two nights ago. So he, he would have scored in, in most matches. But I'm not sure if he will... At this stage, I, I, I don't think there's enough evidence either way, really, to say whether he can he can be what he's bought to be, which is you know Haaland's rival, England, um, Liverpool's new number nine, that's going to take them into a different sort of way of playing and a, and a new era. I'm, I'm just not sure he is that player yet. I agree with Ian; it's it, it's early, so give him a bit of time. I've seen enough to see to suggest there's a really good player there. I haven't yet seen enough to suggest he's going to be a miracle player and he's going to lead the team. But it is early, it is early days. He's got more ad- adaptation to do than Haaland did for, you know, cultural reasons and, and and it's probably a slightly bigger step up in league, but I'm not sure yet. I think, Hugh, 
in light of what the guys have said in the conversation we had around Liverpool on Monday, the most significant thing about watching that Rangers game was that not only the movement was there that the guys have talked about, he was getting in those positions as all the former former uh, pundits and strikers say, that's important. You've got to be getting in the right areas. I think that's important at this stage in his career. And also that Liverpool, his teammates were working around him and creating those chances. You know, on Monday, we talked about Liverpool's changing system. Paul Joyce has written this week about tweaks to that 4-3-3 to more of a kind of 4-1-3-2 or a 4-4-2. That to me is significant that, you know, he's not on the pitch and looking like a spare part. He's getting in the right areas and his teammates are finding him. I mean, Johnny, do you not think that's a quite a significant point that Liverpool, who have played in such a certain way for a long time, that yes, he's had a knockback. He had the sending off against Palace, which will have dented his confidence. They are now seeming to tweak the system to get him chances. And surely that's as significant as his scoring goals. It is. No, that, that, that's a good point. And they played a lot higher up the pitch against Rangers. It's it's oh, the, yeah, the caveat to that is that Rangers wanted to sit right back and, and just try and absorb. So it wasn't like what Liverpool faced in the Premier League. But yes, he was more comfortable in the quartet with the change of formation. The players were working around him well. Who wouldn't want to play with Roberto Firmino? To be honest, he's such a selfless player and, and he did a lot. But so does Jota. So it, it was it was better for him, that system. Um, but there's it's rolling that out into the into the um into the Premier League at that higher level. Can they play with four attackers? I'm not I'm not sure. The signs, there's definitely signs about Nunes and the physicality we should mention as well. You know, it's not Haaland level, but it's it's certainly there. So yeah, there are there are bits, but I just I think everyone was a bit too quick to say he was going to be brilliant um, when he signed. There was a bit too much hype around him, and there's probably been a bit too much sort of knockback after poor start, as Ian suggests. So boring fence sitting kind of analysis, but too early to say with that guy. Speaking of boring, Johnny, um, Spurs. Um, <laughs> 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 well, a goalless draw with Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, I watched the second half of this. I watched Liverpool uh, in the first. And we spoke about Conte ball before, and it's not really going to change. But I, but I did watch this game and think maybe a lack of, of a deep squad is actually the issue for Conte in terms of changing things. Because options in attack, we, we were talking about Richarlison, his ability to play across the front three. But now Dan Kulisevsky is out. It's sort of just three for three. I mean, there's no real depth in attacking options. So you sort of think, where's the other dimension to this Tottenham team at this point in time? Um, Ian, I know you've watched a lot of Conte ball over the years. I'm sure you have. Um, do you agree with me at all that maybe if Tottenham had more money to spend rather than spent more money, if they were, you know, a club with deeper pockets, that, that Conte could play a different way and might excel in that? Well, there is not a club that Antonio Conte has ever worked for where he has not offered that argument that the isn't deep enough and that he needs more recruits in the next transfer window. So, yes, Hugh, I think uh, I think you'll be being applauded even now at Antonio Conte's house in London. I, I think you do have a point. Where do we place Spurs? They are behind the super clubs of the Premier League in terms of budget and in terms of evolution, I guess, and in terms of participation in, in the Champions League. So, you know, perhaps we should judge them as a attritional work in progress, which is in which case they have the best manager for that. I do agree with you 
that if you look at the the Spurs second team, as it were, it, it, it doesn't compare with the kind of clubs that perhaps Spurs are unfairly compared with. But also Antonio Conte, it, 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 you really, as a, as a player, as a player, a fringe player, you really have to earn his confidence. And it's, um, it's quite a hard task to do that sometimes. Yeah, I would expect them to carry on being accused of being boring and him not to bother about it and him to make a lot of noise about the need to recruit more uh, come the January transfer window. What do you think, Johnny? Do you agree? Squad depth? I think it's one of the issues. I mean, I, I expected more from Spurs this season. And I, th- I think squad profile as much as depth, they seem a little bit slow to me as a team and, and a little bit lacking in the in that sort of physical dynamism, that, that, that edge that, that we've seen from the best Conte sides. And I just wonder if there's a, yeah, there's a profiling issue apart from, you know, some can run behind and Richarlison is pretty decent athletically. There's quite a few slow players in that team, older players or, or slower players. You know, the midfield's physically robust, but it's it's not dynamic in terms of getting up the pitch. And then, you know, wing-back, you're not seeing the the marauding wing-backs that, 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 that we've seen from, from great Conte sides. So that ability to sort of spring from a deep block and, 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 and counter at speed and get back. That's maybe I'm influenced by watching them against Arsenal at the weekend and just being struck by the difference in, in pace between the two teams, the speed at which Arsenal played the game and moved the ball and the speed at which Spurs played the game. But I do understand why Spurs fans are asking, why aren't we seeing more of Basuma? Why aren't we seeing Jed Spence? Because I think, I think athletically they, they need a little bit more. And, and because of Conte's sort of the inherent caution of his formation, they can just get, they can become quite static in a match because of adding this sort of lack of dynamism on top of that. Ian, Spurs face Brighton at the weekend in the Premier League under Roberto De Zerbi. Will we get entertainment in this one, Brighton at home? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, De Zerbi is, is, is a very dynamic um, manager, as, as we've already seen in his brief time so far. However, um, I, I think, um, I mean, Conte knows him a bit. Conte knows how his teams play. Um, so he will certainly have a plan to combat him. And if Spurs are not too fatigued from midweek, I would. Uh, I don't think we're going to see quite the goal fest we saw in De Zerbi's first game in charge. But uh, yeah, I mean, Brighton, Brighton are going to be a, a, a good watch. That's for sure. They already were a good watch. But but I, but I think he'll. Um, he's going to add some real pizzazz to the Premier League. Excellent. Look forward to it. We'll react to that on Monday, of course. Another couple of games uh, to mention in the Champions League this week. And I literally mean mention because it was routine for Manchester City. They beat Copenhagen 5-0 at the Etihad and only a brace this time for Erling Haaland, who was taken off at halftime. Disappointment for everyone that backed the hat-trick with the bookmakers. Um, And Celtic, disappointing again. Beaten 3-1 at RB Leipzig. They stay bottom of their group. Rangers without a win so far. We mentioned them against Liverpool a little bit earlier on. Only one point for Celtic out of their first uh, three games. Johnny, resident Scott, um, I was disappointed watching Celtic. And I felt that afterwards it was almost unfair because, you know, they are punching above their weight in terms of where the Scottish Premiership is. We know they're a huge club. Was I right to feel those sorts of up and down feelings? Celtic should do more in the Champions League, but then also suddenly hit by the realism that, you know, a lot of these players were playing in Japan less than a year ago. You know, there is a project at Celtic. 
Yeah, it's a bit of both. You're right, Hugh. Um, for Celtic to do anything in that group would be a great achievement because of those imbalances, but they could play better than that. Um, Ange Postacoglu was was disappointed in them, made the point that you know that, that horrible Joe Hart era actually came after Celtic put themselves under a lot of pressure by knocking the ball back and square and lacking in the the kind of confidence that they they normally play with. I I I, I give Rangers a, a pass because they're in a very difficult group, but I do think Celtic have got it in them to do a little bit more. That said, you look at the Leipzig team and you look at some of the players they've got, and you think, well, that some of those players are on a better level than Celtic quite frankly Johnny thank you very much that pretty much rounds up the British clubs in the Champions League then there is more European chat on the way we'll discuss Napoli and ask if they're the real deal the big team to surprise us in European competition this season we'll find out if Julian Lopetegui could be the man for Wolves after his sacking at Sevilla but remember if you're enjoying the podcast make sure you're subscribed more still to come so don't go anywhere Okay, let's take a look at a couple of the the big stories elsewhere so far this season. And a summer of overhaul at Napoli is working out very, very well. Top of Serie A, unbeaten in all competitions, above Liverpool and Ajax at the top of their Champions League group as well. A 6-1 win over the Dutch side this week. Ian, I've got to ask you, are Napoli the real deal under Spalletti this season? The trouble with Napoli, and and, and they, they rightly get very superstitious about this is, is as soon as people start asking that question then then seasons fall away you know they've been they've been contenders in in Serie A for a number of seasons over the last five or six years and and then they don't have they don't have the gas for it at the end but what you pointed out is is very interesting a very quite a, a set Napoli team with quite a set Napoli style it, it had been around for a long time and you know, nice to watch. They were they were they were good dark horses until sort of March. But so many figureheads left in the summer. So the, there really was a sense of unknown. Insigne's gone to Canada. Koulibaly's gone. Dries Mertens, who was you know aging a little bit, has gone. But th- those were real figureheads in Napoli's revival of the last ten years. And they're doing better without them. I mean, it's you know it's it's plain to see, as you said, the, the impeccable record, uh, joint top of Syria, absolutely. You know, mastering this 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 quite competitive uh, Champions League group. In addition to that, they lost Victor Osimhen in the first game of the Champions League against uh, Liverpool, injured, and, uh, and and you know he really is a, a focal point for for the way they play, a very aggressive, fast centre forward, and they haven't really missed him either. That's the encouraging thing for this for this Napoli that um, there is evidence of, of of a real strength in depth and 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 real variety off the bench. So that that I think will will embolden them to believe that 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 they can go all the way. By which I mean you know a, a possible Serie A title in. In, in quite an open division and a run beyond uh, the last 16 of the, the Champions League. I do need to ask you about one Napoli player making headlines. I hope I pronounce this correctly. Kavisha Kavaratskelia, known as Kavaradona to the Napoli fans, who's been very, very impressive so far. How good is he? Oh, oh, he's wonderful. I mean, he's, uh, he's, um, and and congratulations. Well, I, I mean, I'm not Georgian and I don't speak Georgian, but 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 I think that was a really good pronunciation, and it also saved me having to do it. So so thanks to that, Hugh, and much better and much easier. 
to avoid tongue twisters to call him Faradona, as you say. Yeah, he's he's well, he's lovely to watch. He, you know, he really he's got great pace. He glides with the ball, and he's 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 got this real composure as well. I don't know if you saw his goal against Ajax, but um, yeah, and he, he goes past people. He's he's got a nice cross on him, uh, and and they're absolutely thrilled with him. And really did come from almost nowhere. You know, straight from straight from Georgian football into Syria, where he is, yeah, where he has been the most exciting player, certainly the most exciting newcomer this season. Yeah, and 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 you know, they will already be concerned about how long they can hold on to him, or at the same time, thinking how much they might they might get for him um, in the marketplace. Ian, I'm enjoying the fact that you say that Napoli fans are worried about when the hype gets too much, but yet they've also dubbed one of their players Cavara Donna. I mean, (laughs) God love the Italians, nothing if not consistent, eh? On the subject of players moving away, what tends to happen so often with teams like Napoli in this kind of form and the team that they beat, obviously, in Ajax a few years ago is we, as we're doing now, start immediately getting excited about all their players. Is there anyone else in the team that you think they'll be immediately on the kind of shortlist for big European clubs? I also note there's players like Anguissa, who was at Fulham playing in midfield. So it's not necessarily not lots of up and coming young superstars, is it? Uh, no, it isn't. And, and I'm glad you gave Anguissa a, a, a shout out. He, he really has been fabulous this season from you know the games that I've watched uh, Napoli um yeah it's a it's a it's a sort of blossoming that perhaps wasn't entirely predicted he was you know he's he, he's a good player and he's got a lot to his game Anguisa but he had that you know he was all he was part of Fulham's up down up down cycle um yeah so he's been he's been excellent but um you know probably not priority target for Premier League predators I tell you who is coming into his own um and he's been around for a bit but is still of an age where where he you know he might fetch a, a decent move is is Jelinski the uh, the Polish sort of playmaker um, he's had a very good season for Napoli and and uh, Raspadori who's who came in this season um, up front and has been very effective especially in Osimhen's absence um, obviously England know all about him from uh, week before last um, yeah and uh, you know he looks like a a good penalty box centre forward that, uh, that that would be useful in the Premier League and I think could probably handle the Premier League. Okay, we'll see if Napoli can continue on their positive start to the season. Hasn't been uh, the same story in Spain for Sevilla. In fact, it's been the opposite, really. And their manager, Julian Lopetegui, has paid the price. He's been sacked uh, following their Champions League defeat, 4-1 at home by Borussia Dortmund. Uh, He led the club to the Europa League title in 2020, but they've only won once this season. Defeat to Dortmund, their sixth defeat in 10 matches in all competitions. They've been conceding a lot of goals as well. Um, The former Spain and Real Madrid boss, one of the potential candidates now to replace Bruno Large at Wolves. Ian, what went wrong, do you think, for Julian Lopetegui? It's not all his fault. Um, Sevilla are... A very very efficient club in terms of uh, recruitment and sales and, and and sort of clever turnover, as, as most people know and as most people respect widely. Um, it, it it this summer it simply hasn't worked in terms of outgoings and incomings of players. They lost both their central defenders Diego Carlos and Jules Koundé, and they have suffered for that. Lopetegui had lost the confidence, certainly, of the supporters uh, some time ago, and and to a certain extent, I think. Well, it, he wasn't. It wasn't working for him in the dressing room. He knew before 
before the defeat to Dortmund uh, that he was on his way. So there was a slightly surreal feeling around the game. Um, he knew he was going, and most of the supporters knew he was going as well, which meant that they were slightly more respectful to him in spite of yet another defeat at, at the end and, and you know, applauded him and paid tribute to, to the the whole work. And you mentioned the Europa League. He also took Sevilla within, I think, two games of a very tight title race a couple of years ago. So, you know, he really has, he's done very well there and he's redeemed his reputation. Um, He had a disastrous time at Real Madrid and he left the Spain job in order to take that job, if you remember, controversially at the last World Cup. So his two previous gigs had been very problematic and he's He's redeemed his reputation and uh, looks very, very likely to go to Wolves, who will inherit a very talented, a very meticulous, a very studious manager. And I suspect, I would I would think he will make Wolves a little bit more, give them a little bit more verve if things work out for him. He can be a bit prickly sometimes, Lopetegui, but but he's had his eye on, on the Premier League for some time and, you know, he will he will really want to make this work and, and to, you know, continue enhancing his reputation. Yeah, yeah, a, a good guy, lots of experience. Uh, and obviously he is well connected or close to the people who are close to the people who run Wolves. Johnny, is Wolves a good place for someone like Julian Lopetegui for you? I think it is because it's it's low key. It, it it's been a good place for the last two managers to settle in and you know adapt and get get their work done. And they've got a, you know they've got a meticulous, diligent squad. I'd say to match what you're saying about Lopetegui's style and personality. And it's a receptive squad tactically and and in terms of work ethic. So it's not a bad place to to go and bed in. I actually thought Bruno Lark did pretty well in in terms and it. It raises a question for me: What is Wolves' ceiling? Where, where are the ambitions lying? I think Lopetegui will do a pretty good job, but then come up against that very question as to how far he can he can take them. I think the fans probably do want a bit more excitement and a few more goals, certainly. So if he can bring that in the short term, that would be that'd be pretty welcome. I don't know, Ian, if you think he, he's that that's that would be his. His style, you know, look, looking at him from afar, he's, he's, he's had teams that have entertained and teams that have not to a certain extent. Would I be right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah. He's, um, he, he's, he's a pragmatist. Uh, he's not, uh, he doesn't have absolutely distinctive dogmas. At the same time, you know, when, when his, his good Sevilla teams, which were most of them, you know, they, 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 they were nice to watch, had a bit of wit, had a lot of, a lot of gumption and and they you know they they had goals in them which as you say is going to be he's going to have to work on that um at wolves this is assuming he 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 takes the job uh, which looks likely at this point okay all right we'll see if julian lopetegui is the man for wolves in the coming days i am sure um but he will still be reeling a little bit uh, after the good job he'd done at sevilla with that sacking i'm sure so we'll see if he can bring some energy into the Premier League if he is appointed at Molyneux. Anyway, we'll discuss that as and when it happens. Um, Coming up next on the Game Podcast, we'll look ahead to England's game against the United States in terms of women's football and we'll react to that game between the two sides in the East Midlands, Leicester and Nottingham Forest as well. So stay with us. England's women have friendlies against the United States on Friday and the Czech Republic on the 11th of October, but they will be facing the world champions, the United States, without their captain, Leah Williamson, after she 
was injured in training, which is a pretty big blow. Let's speak to Molly Hudson from the Times, who, of course, will be covering both of these games. Hi, Molly. Morning, Hugh. This game against the United States was sort of billed as, you know, one of the moments for England to sort of announce themselves globally after that Euros win, show the United States that maybe they're, they're getting closer to their level, particularly under Serena Wiegmann. Does losing Leah Williamson mean that that now is probably a little step away? I think it is a bit of a shame and it's not just the fact that it's Leah Williamson. We're also missing Alessia Russo, which I know isn't as big a name, but England are quite short of out-and-out strikers. Obviously, we relied on Ellen White for so long and then she uh, retired in the summer and Russo had literally just nailed down that starting number nine spot um, and I think has been in really good form. So... That's another big blow. I think if you take away Williamson and Russo, they're two of the the kind of standout performers from the Euros and pretty much guaranteed starters. But what I would say is that the USA have also got a lot of injuries. So it might not actually affect the result in the end, but it just won't probably won't be as good a game as it could have been, which is a bit of a shame. But on the other hand, you know, sold out Wembley, 90,000 fans, pretty much the homecoming for the Lionesses because obviously the the last one was in the Bet365 in Stoke, which is not quite the same vibe. I think it will still be a, a fantastic occasion. And, you know, it's very rare England get to play the United States outside of the tournament. And I know when they played them in the She Believes Cup and they won that one year, it gave them so much confidence. And I think... The more you play a team like the USA, you kind of break that sort of magical spell around them that they seem to have where, you know, they're just this team that's above everyone else. Because from my view, I don't think they are anymore. I think the whole of Europe has really closed that gap. However, you know, you're very much landing on the positive side of things. If things don't go England's way, maybe in a particularly negative way, how big a blow is that? Well, it's a big blow for for Serena Wiegmann's unbeaten record. I think that's the main thing, I suppose, in a way, that she's they've been pretty much infallible in her time in charge since last September, that is now, and I think it's 22 games. So, you know, quite clearly they're going to want to keep that. And I think it, it will be interesting to see. There's a few sort of selection decisions that Wiegmann has got to make, which we haven't seen from her very often because, as we know from the summer, she, she loves that consistent starting eleven. And in the summer, England was so lucky with the fact that they didn't really have any injuries or, or big COVID scares to kind of key players. So I think, for example, where Rachel Daly plays, who in the Euros played as a left-back for Aston Villa, has a fantastic, fantastic start to the season as a striker. Now there is that starting striker berth left because of Russo's injury. But we're also short in defence because of Williamson. So it'll be interesting to see where... Wiegmann sees Daly's international future, I suppose, because she's always been a left-back in a way for England because she was sort of filling in because there hasn't been a great left-back for a little while now and you sort of wanted to get her in the team somewhere. So I think it'll be interesting to see if, if that form for Villa at the start of the season, which will probably see her pick up the player of the month uh, in the Women's Super League, whether that translates into Wiegmann trusting her to lead the line for our country. Listen, it's going to be a difficult one without you knowing, and you're going to know a little bit later on about what Wiegmann's plans might be to cover these injuries, where Daly might play, for example. But just your gut feeling, do you think England will be able to give the United States a good game at Wembley? I think they will. I think it's 
an England team in the past might have crumbled when you've seen these injuries and the way that it sort of affected them in the lead up to such a big game. But I think Wiegmann won't allow that to happen. You know, we, we saw in the summer when, when she herself got COVID, everything was so smooth. And I think it will be the same. Obviously, it's a massive blow for the two individuals. And, you know, you can't forget Lucy Parker as well, who was uh, earning her first first call-up for England um, and has had to pull out of injury as well, which is obviously really disappointing for her. But I think, yeah, I think this is an England team better equipped than those in the past to deal with that. now. Obviously, we know the USA are a fantastic team. And let's be honest, they may well have beaten us at full strength. We don't know. Um, they're also kind of in a transition period from the team that obviously beat England in the 2019 World Cup to now a team that's that's got a lot more sort of youngsters in it. Um, obviously, Alex Morgan is, is injured in this camp for them. So I think it'll be interesting to see how, how both of the teams look when they come out at Wembley. And Molly, you've done an interview in The Times that I wanted to pick up with you as well with England defender Lucy Bronze. Pretty serious topic. Um, she says she hopes an independent investigation that revealed the widespread abuse and misconduct in the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL in the United States, can provide fundamental change for women's sport. And that is a, honestly such an interesting read um, and an important one. So you can get that on The Times app right now. But Molly, it's... It's almost another example of an England player, a, a player in women's football, in fact, using their voice to speak out. Um, and it's happening more and more. Yeah, I think it's something that's really developed over the past couple of years. And I think it's something that it kind of happened during COVID. And I think uh, a lot of the players realised that they wanted to to stand up for, for things like Black Lives Matter. I know Demi Stokes spoke up about that and said that in the past she'd, she'd been a bit worried about sort of saying the wrong thing. I don't think it's that these England players never had opinions because, of course, they did, but I think they were afraid of afraid of really saying them. And I don't know if it's because they've obviously now won the Euros and they feel as though that that platform is big enough now. But I have to say, speaking speaking to Lucy Bronze, and it was spoke to her on Tuesday, just the, the, the maturity and, and, you know, it is, a, it is a difficult topic and it's something that has clearly played the NWSL and... As Bronze pointed out, it's also an issue across across women's football, across women's women's sport as a whole. And I think she just spoke so maturely and sort of well on a on a topic that in the past you would have you know maybe said, "Oh, sorry, I can't comment on that." You know, it's it's not something that's directly affected me. So I think that was a a really big step forward for for the character of these lionesses, I suppose, and. And that has always come from the USA team. If you think about people like Megan Rapinoe, people like Alex, Alex Morgan, who have always stood up for, for causes way beyond the football pitch. And I think that's something that these England players have realised that they can do now. And it's something that will hopefully not only, you know, grow their voice, grow their platform, but actually make a difference too, because it's going to draw attention to, to these issues. And, and obviously the Yates report was just... Horrific, the kind of detail that um, that it revealed with um, two English-born coaches, Christy Holly and Paul Riley, and also Rory Dames uh, was another uh, end of result coach. Um, so yeah, I would would definitely urge people to 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 read those findings, I, I suppose, and and yeah, just realise the the kind of things that some of these players are going through, and hopefully 
Bronze actually said that she hopes the FA and and the England team can sort of be a standard bearer going forward because they haven't had anything like that. And I think that's also another step forward for for the FA, I suppose, that not only are they putting money in now, but that they really can claim to be a world leader in that sense. Very important. Okay, Molly Hudson, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And you can read Molly's interview with the England and Barcelona defender Lucy Bronze on the Times app right now. So do check it out. Very, very important topic. Molly, thank you. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Before we go, there's one game for us to look back on. It came in the Premier League on Monday night. James Madison inspiring Leicester City to a much-needed win, a 4-0 victory over their East Midlands rivals, Nottingham Forest. And that heaped pressure on their boss, Steve Cooper. Forest have another huge game coming on Monday against Aston Villa next, but it did ease the pressure uh, on his opposite number, Brendan Rodgers. Johnny, I'll start with you. And, and whichever manager you want to really discuss, you know, let, let's go with Brendan. I know you like Leicester a little bit. So how relieving is it for him? Oh, that that's that was a huge that was a huge evening for him. My sort of mates who support Leicester really feared the worst. Maybe still traumatized by the FA Cup horror show against Forest earlier in the year. I think they really, you know, it, they, Leicester needed something like that to get out of the tailspin. A big win in a derby and playing like much more like a Brendan team. Madison was superb, but you know, there were things like Harvey Barnes doing so well and, and Vout Fass has made an impact at the back. It was just much more like it. Danny Ward got me some points in the fantasy league. Good substitution there by, by me for Sanchez. Um, it was all good. Uh, and and it, 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 I think when you, when, when you get these games after the international break, I'm always watching closely to, to see what's changed because managers have had that extra coaching time. And with Leicester, um, there were plenty of players who, who weren't on international duty, so Brendan had had time to work them. And I think reassuringly, you could see that that time had been put to good use and that it was a much more organised but also fluent and confident Leicester. Um, the flip side is I just really feel for, for Steve Cooper and the um, hospital pass he's been handed since the start of the season with that recruitment policy still trying to make sense of that squad and, and it was a, a horrible game to unravel in and, and the worst thing for Forrest at the moment is they you know, become that team that when they lose one goal they lose three they just they're so fragile that they they, they, they don't respond to setbacks and in that match they were 3-0 down before they before they could sort of get back off the floor What are your worries now for Steve Cooper Tom? 
Oh, well, infinite, I would say. One of my main worries is how on earth, as Johnny says, he can gels that team. I mean, look, looking at his starting lineup, it, it wasn't bad. It kind of made a lot of sense. But then you look at the bench, look at the bench and all the players that are there. I find myself looking at Nottingham Forest bench even now after the transfer window's closed and going, when the hell did he sign? You're thinking, where are they going to fit in? Because he's under pressure to make it work because some of those people on the bench they've spent a lot of money on and some of them if they haven't spent a lot of money on the transfer fee they'll have spent a lot of money on wages bringing in some of these experienced players who played good level in the Premier League by all accounts reports this week that he's going to get a bit more time they brought in a kind of director of football role that I'm not quite sure why because people who are talking about it talking about uh how, how important that is for future signings. I'm thinking, you don't need any more signings, lads. You've got everything you need. So, you know, my concern is that someone like Steve Cooper, who's a young manager, highly praised for the work he's done both at Forest and with other teams that he's managed, is just going to kind of lose sight of what he's all about, lose sight of what he does best, and it'll become very, very messy and it's slightly spiralling out of control for him a little bit. Ian, what are your thoughts about what could be next for Nottingham Forest? Will Steve Cooper... Um, pay the price possibly if they aren't uh, if they aren't winners against Aston Villa. Uh, well, you wouldn't bet against it, would you? Given how much the his his bosses have invested in in new players and and given their sort of twitchiness about what it takes to survive in the Premier League, I I, I can't help but be reminded of uh, Fulham after their 2018 promotion. Yeah, where they, you know, where they made huge statements in how much they invested in in new recruits, and then there was a similar sort of spiral. You know, the the heavy scoreline started uh, accumulating, and they got through three managers that season, and and were always going down. So that sounds a little pessimistic, but there's a there's a little bit of deja vu with with what what's happening to Forest at the moment. Okay, and before we go. Um... Just to round things off as, as being too England heavy on this podcast, the performance of James Madison, once again, look, it's the, it's the build-up to a World Cup. Every decent performance has got people saying, X player has to start. So this time it's James Madison, all right? Johnny, what do you think? Should he be in the England squad? Should he be starting? Uh, in the squad, I wouldn't start him, um, but what an option to to have. What a, what a confident player. Uh, he's in form. You know, I probably wouldn't have said it two or three months ago, but look how he's playing at the moment. And uh, England need need a spot. They've got a 26-man squad. Surely there's room for, for someone like that. You know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say. You almost don't need <laughs> it's to ask. Not gonna Come happen. on. It's not going to happen. He's not going to get in. But also, like, I, I would you argue... you think he should I, be in? Come on. No, I, I would argue, yes, no, you're right. I think slightly differently to my argument about Trent Alexander-Arnold, which was that he's an amazing footballer and I think he's brilliant, but I don't think he'll be in Southgate squad. I think Madison is playing well, but I don't think he should be yet. I disagree with Johnny. I think he's got to show more. He's a player that I've rated very highly. I'm pretty sure in podcasts past, I rated him more highly than uh, Jack Grealish at various points. I think I might have had that argument with Johnny, in fact. But I, I just don't quite see it yet. I think there's a little bit of the circumstances that happen sometimes when a good team is playing badly and he is obviously being a you know very much a catalyst for any good performances that are happening for them he's obviously you know been slightly galvanized if you like by Leicester's poor form because he's been like right I can lift you up I can bring you up but I do think there's an element where the brilliance that he's showing is is in context of Leicester being quite poor of late I think he's got he needs to show more in the next few weeks if he's going to earn himself a call up to the squad. As talented as he is, yes, great option off the bench to have free kicks. But Hugh, you talked about it before. 
we'll have set piece takers in there, Kieran Trippier and the like, if they're if they're fit. So for me, he's asked to show a little bit more in the coming weeks to deserve a place in the squad. Last word on it, Ian Hawkey, Madison for England. As number 24, 25 or 26 in the, in the squad, uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I mean, I agree with Johnny that, you know, this the, the, the extra large squads do often an opportunity for, he might not like this, but, you know, a sort of, a, you know, a, a more maverick talent, an outsider. At the same time, numbers 24 and 25 and 26 um, for most of the teams going to the World Cup won't see much action. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I think you'd say he's he's in the the top 26 available um, at the moment. So why not? Um, and it will be interesting to see, actually. I, I think it'll be quite clear in most most of the squads of the leading nations who are who are those sort of extra three. And I think I think that'll be quite a good judge of managers' instincts, you know, whether they whether they go with that slightly sort of outsider sparky possibility or extra reinforcements. Well we'll see, won't we, if James Madison makes it into that uh, 26 but yeah pretty resounding from the game podcast it seems we are fans of the Leicester midfielder we'll see if Gareth Southgate is as well uh, that's about it for the game podcast thank you all for listening thank you Ian Hawkey Tom Clark and Jonathan Northcroft informative as always and if you want more interesting articles uh, make sure you check out the Times app right now you can uh, download that wherever you get your apps from you can subscribe as well uh, to the game each and every Monday it's the times.co.uk forward slash the game and we will see you for more chat on monday take care voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.